0: We're starting a new series today called Momentum. We're going to continue in the book of Acts, but we're changing uh, some direction here, uh, and we're going to talk about momentum. The first four chapters in the book of Acts are just surprise, 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 but the next couple of chapters really deals with momentum, both momentum stoppers and momentum builders. So I'd like to start today's message today with an illustration from the movie Titanic. So in case this is your first Sunday here or you weren't here last week, you're going like, that wasn't funny. Why are they laughing? Well, go on our website and listen to last week's message and it'll make sense and you'll get a laugh, that's for sure. (laughs) But I do want to start uh, with a story that I read recently. It's a story about a man who centuries ago was traveling through the Middle East and through the desert. He was a very wealthy man. He literally had a bag of gems that he, was, he had with him. And as he was traveling by himself, there was another traveler that met him on the journey and traveled with him. It appeared to be a chance meeting. But the wealthy man thought to himself, this might not be a chance meeting. And the evening time came. They, they came to a place where they were going to spend the night. They were provided a room, two beds And then also, as the custom was in that country and in that region, they were given a basin of water to wash up with. So the wealthy man, using his wisdom, offered the other gentleman first shot at cleaning up. He said, why don't you go out and you bathe, and then when you come back in, I'll go out and I will bathe. And so that's what happened. So the wealthy man, realizing that when he goes out to bathe, the other man If he has ill intentions, that will be his opportunity to rob from me of my wealth. So he took his bag of gems and he looked all over the room where he might hide them and he found what he believed would be be the safest place. Sure enough, the wealthy man went out to bathe and the other man now is left in the room by himself and he begins to search everywhere for the bag of gems. He looks through all of the bags, everything he could possibly look under, look around, everywhere. He looked everywhere. And not finding anything, he got tired and he just lay down, put his head on his pillow and went to sleep. The next morning, they both eat breakfast and then they're packing, getting ready to leave to continue on their journey. And the wealthy man said to the other man, he said, I know what you're here to do. And I realize that you have already tried to rob me. But the wealth that you were looking for was much closer to you than you realized. And he walked over to the bed where the the other man had slept, and he lifted up the pillow, and that's where he had hidden his bag of gems, under the man's pillow. Many times, we look for wealth, and we look for information, and we look for wisdom in far-off places, and yet many times, what we're looking for is actually much closer to us than we realize. And as we go through this message today, I want you to remember that, that what you're looking for is actually much closer to you than you realize. So today's message is entitled, When God Offends. And we're talking about momentum. We know how valuable momentum is, that every person needs momentum if they're going to overcome obstacles and reach goals. Every family needs momentum. It's so important to us. If you're a part of a sports team or ever have been, you recognize momentum is vitally important. Momentum is also important for a church, or for a country, or any person or group of people trying to accomplish anything. But there are momentum stoppers, and there are momentum builders. We're going to look at today at what God uses to build momentum in our lives, and yet sometimes we succumb to the temptation of allowing what God is trying to do in our life to build momentum. We actually use it in the reverse way, and it becomes a momentum stopper. If you have your Bibles, please turn to the book of Acts, chapter number 5. We're in Acts, chapter number 5, and we're going to read verses 1 through 11. And this, uh, go ahead, and I'm going to go ahead and warn you, this is one of those stories in the Bible that really causes us to kind of shake our head. It can kind of rock our faith for a moment, Because it's one of those stories, it's one of the incidences that happened in history that causes us great questions. Let's read it, and then let's unpack this. Okay, you ready? Acts chapter number five. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself But brought the rest of the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now let's pause just for a moment. This was something that several people were doing. Not only were people giving the tithe into the church, but they were also taking pieces of property or other materials and they were selling those things and bringing all of the money and giving it to the apostles, to the leaders of the church, to be distributed among the people so that everyone's needs were met. Not everyone's desires, but everyone's needs. And what happened here is Ananias and Sapphira went and sold a piece of property and they held back some of the money for themselves, but they brought the rest of the money and presented it as though it were all the money. There's nothing wrong with selling a piece of property, holding some back for yourself and bringing the rest of it to the church. There's nothing wrong with that at all, but they lied and said, this is the whole amount. So I want you to remember that as we keep moving. Verse number three. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it all belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, was it the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died, and great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some of the young men came forward, wrapped up his body, carried him out, and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. And Peter said to her, How could you conspire to test the Spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. And at that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young man came in, finding her dead, carried her out, and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these things. Well, in every one of our lives, life is moving along and we're doing life and we're moving forward. And then all of a sudden something happens, something that's unexpected, something we weren't really planning on, something we had not prepared ourselves for. It could be a physical harm. It could be a broken leg, a rupture to Achilles. It could be a lot of different things. It could be the announcement from a spouse who's been unfaithful. It could be Getting fired from a job. Life happens. And when it does, we focus in on the acuteness of that illness or that pain or that discouragement. And everything else seems to take a back seat. We're focused on that event, on that pain, because it's acute. It's right there in front of us and it hurts deeply. It may hurt our pride, our ego, our relationships, our emotions, and it could be physical or financial. But that's what we're focused on. And that's important because that can bring healing. But in life, as we go through life and we find these discouragements happen to all of us, we must step back for a moment and train ourselves to still look at the big picture. We look at this event and we say, wow, that's tough. I mean, that's, that's really tough. Here, Peter is saying, you haven't just lied to human beings, you've lied to God. Don't answer this question. Have you ever lied to God? I have. God, I will never do that again. That is wrong. I know it's wrong, and I'm not going to do it again. Well, there have been a few times I've kept that commitment. Commitment. One time I was a senior in high school, I was playing on the baseball team, and I had been chewing tobacco since I was about 13, At this time I'm 17, and uh, it's winter time in Florida, and the coach decides we're going to run, like run, 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 and run, and run. I have a big wad of tobacco in my mouth, and it was freezing cold that day, it was like 45. Florida. (laughs) So we're running and running and running, and you know what happens. I got back to my car, and I thought I was going to die. I mean, my car was moving. Somehow it elevated, and it just started floating all over the parking lot. I don't know how it happened. And I promised God, I said these words, I said, God, if you'll just let me live, I will never chew tobacco again. And I promise you, I've never touched tobacco since that day. That was it, done. Sometimes we really, we hold on to those promises to God, and sometimes we don't. Sometimes we say, God, I I haven't been doing that, and I'm going to do this, and we don't. So I don't want anyone to walk out of here in some type of fearful state, believing that if you slip up and you make a little mistake, wow, your life could be ended right now. I don't think that's the purpose of this story. Ananias and Sapphira, it's interesting to know That the Bible never says they were Christians or non-Christians. It doesn't say they were, uh, as we would call, members of the church or not. We don't really know anything about them other than this story. This is the only time that they're mentioned. The pain that was inflicted in that situation, we won't talk about the pain they inflicted. They died very quickly. But what about the pain of others? Pain comes to us from three different areas. Number one is ourselves. When we just make stupid decisions, generally we get stupid results. Don't answer this question. Have any of you ever made a stupid decision? Okay. We inflict pain on ourselves when we do things that aren't very wise, but pain also comes from other people. Sometimes they don't mean to hurt us, and sometimes they do, but pain comes from other people as well. But then there's a third source of pain, and that's when we really look at God and say, God, either you did this or you allowed this. God, you did this, or God, you didn't really do it, but you allowed it. You could have stopped it, but you didn't. And so somehow we begin to gravitate toward God being the source of our pain. And in some situations, God truly allows us to go into the dilemma of pain. But if we're going to have the best view of this dilemma of pain, it's important for us to look under our own pillow and look at the simplicity instead of the intricate. And can I just pose this word today, and that is perspective. That's what we're going to talk about for the next few moments and then transition into, into some symptoms and some remedies for this. Perspective. If we look at this situation with perspective and we look at our own situations of pain that we just don't understand, but we use perspective, it's going to help us to be able to deal with that. Perspective is defined by the art of drawing solid objects on a two-dimensional surface. In other words, there's, there's, there's a two-dimension. We, we want to shrink our pain down to this one little thing, but instead we've got to broaden out and look at perspective and recognize that the pain that we're feeling is not the only thing happening in our lives. There's many things happening and nothing happens in isolation from other things. The point is here is that what we read in Acts chapter 4 and what we're going to read in just a few moments later in Acts chapter 5 is God was doing great things. There were people being saved. There there was a man who had been crippled for 40 years and he was instantly healed. God's providing all of the needs of the body of Christ. There's miracle here, miracle there, provision here. There's grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. And Ananias and Sapphira decided to do what? They decided to lie. They decided, well, you know, God's doing all these great things, and we're seeing it, and we're hearing it, and we're seeing it, and we're hearing it. But you know what? I don't, I don't know if I can really trust him, so we're going we're gonna to hold back some of the money. But then we want everybody to think we're superstars in the faith, and we're going to tell them all this is, this is all the money. It was a complete and honest deception. They did that not in isolation. They did that in the middle of seeing all of these miracles that God's doing. It wasn't an isolation. So if we look at things in perspective, we begin to recognize that the thing that happened in our life did not happen on an island. It wasn't isolated. It is in a perspective. Perspective comes with age. Number one is your age. Perspective comes with age. The things that happened to us when we were children, now that we're adults, we look back at them and we go, oh, now I get it. Now I understand why my father did this or my mother did this. They were trying to discipline me. They were trying to train me. They were a little rough on me because they recognized that life is tough and I need to be tough. Oh, now I get it. Now I understand. But at the moment when we're 10, 12, 13, whatever, we're like, this this isn't right. This doesn't feel good. But perspective comes with age. Now that you're in your 20s and 30s, there are things that are going to happen to you now that perspective comes later at 20 or 30 years from now when you're going to look back and you're in your 50s and you're going to go, oh, now I get it. Now I understand what God was doing. I got fired from that job and they blamed me for the problem. I know it wasn't my problem, but now I understand that God was getting me out of that job so I could get this job and I could work with that company. I could go in this direction. Now I get it. That was so painful in that moment, but now I get it. So perspective comes with age, first your age, but there's also someone else's age. There are other people's age that we can draw from. Do you have a relationship with somebody that's much older than you? that you can draw from, that you can go to that person and say, wow, this thing just happened and I'm just blown away by it. That's when the older people, they look at you and go, oh, honey, it's going to be okay. You're going to make it through this. I've made it through some things. You're going to make it through this. And they're able to give us a different perspective than what we have if we just put tunnel vision on and just look at the problem. Perspective is very important. Perspective comes with age, but perspective comes with godly contemplation. It comes with the quiet times of just you and God. We live in a day that quietness is considered weird. Y'all okay out there? Because we've got to have the TV on all the time, we've got to have noise, we've got to have music, we've got to have something on all the time, and there's a quietness that is very beneficial to our lives when God begins to speak to us in that still, small voice saying, this is the way, walk in it. And we need that quiet time. It was 1986, and Lisa and I were in ministry, we were rebuilding our first house, and we decided to start our family. And it wasn't very long until Lisa made the great announcement, yes! And so we were all pumped up and excited, but that didn't end well. She experienced a miscarriage. We moved into the house later, and God was making a transition in our lives, but it was during that time that she made the announcement again, yes! And we were so excited. At that time, we moved to Georgia. It was January of 1987. We moved up here to Georgia. Three weeks after arriving here, she had another miscarriage. And that really hit me hard, and I didn't understand that. I thought, God, we just went through this, And I thought we went through it pretty well. You know, if it was a test, I think we passed. God, what's going on here? I was trying to figure it all out. And I remember exactly where I was at. I remember the couch I was on. I remember exactly where in that room I was at. I was just reading the word of God. I wasn't reading to get an answer. I wasn't reading to get a sermon. I was was just reading God's word. And I happened to be in Psalm 119. In Psalm 119... Verse 75, the word just jumped out at me because this is what the word says. Psalm 119, 75 says, I know, O Lord, that your judgments are right and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. I know that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. I mean, that verse jumped at me. And at first it was like, God has, uh, it says God has afflicted me. Now, if if you're wanting to say that's not what it means, you're going to have to take that up with God, okay? You don't need to have a conversation with me about that because the word says, in faithfulness, you have afflicted me. Now, here's the deal. We can either focus on the affliction or we can focus on God's faithfulness. If we begin to focus on the affliction, if we begin to focus on the the difficult things that we go through and we forget about God's faithfulness, where are we then? We're headed toward depression or in it. And so in that moment on that day, that clarified everything for me. It didn't take away what had happened. It didn't like make it right. But I began to see, God, you are faithful even in the middle of this pain. You are faithful even in my pain, even what I don't understand. Even when I cannot comprehend, God, you are faithful. How many of you today are still confused about the affliction that you've received? I'm, 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 not, I'm not here to judge the source of all of it. I, that's, it's not the point. But how many of you are still frustrated and still, still in, a, in a holding pattern, if you will, Because you're focused on the problem and not on the problem solver. He's a faithful God. He is a faithful God. And He's wanting to change your perspective from the pain of the problem to the faithfulness of the God that you serve. It's perspective, it comes in the quiet, contemplative moments, but perspective also comes with godly celebration, it comes with the body of Christ. Man, it's so important for us to be faithful to one another here, not only on Sunday mornings, but also during life groups on Tuesdays and Thursdays and other times. So important for us to do that. Because it's in times of celebration, in times of Bible study, in times of, of talking with one another that suddenly things become more clear. And this happened to a guy named Asaph. We look at the Psalms and we know, recognize that David wrote most of the Psalms, but there were some, a couple of other people that wrote Psalms, and one of them, his name was Asaph. And uh, in Psalm 73, he wrote that psalm. And he begins the psalm by saying, man, I, I'm upset. This is a paraphrase. You can read it later. But he, he's, basically, he's upset. And he's saying, like, I, don't, I don't get this. He said, I don't understand why the ungodly are prospering. I don't, I, don't, I don't get that. They're not serving God. They're not honoring God. And he uses words like iniquity, violence, uh, disrespect, all of these things he's saying, they're they disrespectful, they're filled with violence, they, 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 they even have a, something they say about God, it's like, does God really know anything anyway? That's how disrespectful they are to God, and yet they keep prospering. It's like they're just consuming the world. He says, I don't get it. And he says there in Psalm 73. He says, Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been afflicted, and every morning brings new punishments. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all of this, it troubled me deeply until I entered the sanctuary of God, and then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground, and you cast them down to ruin. He said, I'm in distress. I don't get it. I don't understand why the ungodly are prospering, and it made no sense to me until I entered the sanctuary of God. And in that moment when the body of Christ comes together and we're glorifying God and praising God and we're singing psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, that's when all of a sudden it made sense. And that's part of the power of the body of Christ. When we come together, in the name of Christ, he says, I'm there. Where two or more gather in my name, I am there. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is life. And where the spirit of God is, there is liberty. Liberty. And we come together and we we absorb that word that God gives us. Sometimes it's the written word and we're just reading it and bam, it jumps out. And other times it is that revelation moment in his presence when he just gives us the assurance and he says, hey, don't worry about them. It's going to be okay. Don't worry about them. You serve me. Don't worry about what they did, what they do. I'm going to take care of them. You serve me. You serve me. There was a time when Jesus uh, healed, uh, he fed the multitude. He, I mean, he was just had a little lunch there and he fed the multitude, thousands of people. The Bible says the next day, uh, they, the crowd came back. You know, free lunch is free lunch, right? So they all came back. And um, he, said, uh, he said to them, he said, Here, here's the deal. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have nothing to do with me. And a lot of the Bible says a lot of people they turned around and walked away. You know, like it was fish and chips yesterday, and today you're talking about something different. I liked fish and chips. I don't like what you're saying now. I'm out of here. Jesus turned around to his disciples and said, "Are you going to leave me too?" That's when Peter said. Where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. Where are we going to go? So you've given us a hard saying. We'll chew on it. We'll figure it out. I don't know. We'll, 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 we'll get there. But we're going to serve you. We're going to keep going. What are some symptoms of a person who has said, I've been offended by God and I'm holding on to that offense. What are the symptoms? How do we know if we're holding a grudge against God? And I also want to just share with you in this moment, this is not something that I've just simply read about in a book. This is something that I've experienced in my own life. How do we know if we're holding on to a grudge? If you're there in Acts chapter number 5, you can look at verse number 11. 11. And you see, the Bible says that great fear came upon all the people. When you are holding a grudge against God, you stop fearing God. You begin to treat God casually. Instead of being reverent and awestruck by his majesty and power, he, he becomes your pal, he becomes your buddy. You're like, hey, yeah, me and God, we're friends. Yeah, we're awesome, man. We're just just buddies, you know. Everything's good. Become very casual with God. Verse number 12. Man, the apostles were just doing great things. The, the, The people in the church were doing great things. When you have a grudge against God, ministry becomes optional. Yeah, I used to do ministry. I used to be involved. I used to be at church all the time. I used to go. And yeah, but you know, I got this hurt and I'm holding on to the grudge. And ministry is optional now. I'll do it when it's convenient. I do, I do it when it's fun. But if it stops being fun, I'm out. Ministry becomes optional. Verse 13. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. When you're offended by God, you gravitate toward people who are also offended by God. You gravitate toward the people who feel the way you feel. Hey, I've been done wrong. I can't believe this, man. I got fired from my job. My wife walked out on me. My husband walked out on me. My children hate me. Whatever. I, I don't, I, we can't talk about all the stuff. Life is life. We get offended. And then we start hanging around people. We gravitate toward people who are also offended. Birds of a feather flock together. What do we do that is wrong when we're offended by God? First off, we put God in time out. I mean, we want Him hanging around. I mean, you know, we don't like, like, kick him out, but we just put him in the corner. We say, God, God, you stay over there, and I'll stay over here. I got you close enough, but not too close. And we put God in time out because we're mad at God. We're offended. We're upset. And I don't, I don't want to deal with you face to face. I don't want you... Shoulder to shoulder with me. I want you over in the corner. And we put God in time out. We stop praying. Because prayer is an intimacy with God. And we stop. God, I can handle this. I'll do it. Don't need your help. And when we do pray, it's casual. It's just kind of, okay, God, yeah, bless me today and bless me, you know, okay. We stop giving. We become selfish, self absorbed. Ananias and Sapphira did that. They were self absorbed. They gave, but then they lied about it. And it's, I'll I'll give just enough. We stop loving. We stop going that second mile. We barely go the first, and sometimes we only go a half a mile. We stop doing what we know to do to love people because we're hurt and we're offended. And it's not an offense that we can really pinpoint on a person because we always say, well, God, you allowed it to happen. You allowed that person to do that, or you allowed that company or whatever. You allowed that to happen, and therefore it's really your fault. We put God in timeout. Ministry becomes optional. We stop praying. We stop giving. We stop loving, and we stop living by faith. That's what Ananias and Sapphira did. We stop living by faith because faith puts us in dependence on God, doesn't it? And all of a sudden we go like, man, I'm, I'm stepping out and I don't even, I don't even know what's going to happen. That's a, that's a very vulnerable place to be and people who have been offended by God don't want to be vulnerable in the name of God. And so we stop living by faith. So we become reclusive. We pull into ourselves and, and it becomes all about us instead of giving out. There are some people who say that we need to forgive God for what he has done. I want to unpack that, and we're, we're bringing this down to a close. Some people would say, well, you need to forgive God. Now, let's talk about that for a moment. There's two aspects of forgiveness. One says, I forgive you for what you did. The second aspect is I'm not going to hold a grudge against you for what you did. Those who say we need to forgive God, I believe they have sincere hearts and, 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 and I, I'm believing for the best. I really don't think anyone believes God does wrong. I, I think what they're wanting to do is skip over step number one to get to step number two, which is a good thing. We don't need to forgive God because God's never done anything wrong and he never does anything wrong. But I believe those who say we need to forgive God are really just talking about step number two and that is we don't need to hold a grudge against God. And that's what they're talking about. And God is saying to us today, okay, you went through some stuff, you've been offended, you've been wounded and, and please, I, I, I don't want to appear in any way to try and minimize your pain that you've experienced. Because life is, it has its elements of pain. In perspective with all of life, it's important for us to keep that perspective. I don't want to minimize your pain and I I don't want to talk about your pain flippantly. I I don't want to talk about your pain casually. You know what has happened in your life. But I would submit to you today That in order for you to continue to progress forward in your relationship with Christ, there comes a point in time when you just have to say, God, I'm not going to hold a grudge against you again. And I'm not going to hold you in time out. God, I want to draw near to you and you'll draw near to me. And that's when the healing comes. You don't forgive God because he did something wrong, but you say, God, I'm not going to hold a grudge against you because this thing happened to me. Lord, I'm I'm going to... I'm going to live my life in close proximity to you. You see when we hold a grudge against God it it stops our momentum. It stops us from living by faith and it stops us from loving and it stops us from giving and it stops us from praying because we're we're holding God at arm's length. And it's Satan's tool to stop the momentum that we have. It's Satan's tool to stop the momentum of a church or it's Satan's tool to stop the momentum of a family when all of a sudden we're holding a grudge against God and God is saying, I have afflicted you for a purpose and a reason so that you will become more like Christ. The Bible says Jesus learned obedience through the things he suffered. And he was tempted in every manner of man and yet without sin. God is wanting us to know we live in a real world. And he allows us to experience the pain and the sting of sin. So that we will know the power of sin. So that we will cling to him for our forgiveness. And propagate that forgiveness to other people. And say you can also be forgiven. You can also be forgiven. I know the pain And the sting of sin. God says, I want your momentum to keep going. Don't put me in a corner. I'm not going to stay there. Live your life close to me. Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. And he said this. He said, being confident of this one thing. He said, I have a confidence that the one who began a good work in me is going to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. The band was going to come up and sing, and and we're we're not going to do that. We're just going to have a time of prayer. Mike, if you'd come up and just lead, just play some on the the guitar, I'd appreciate it. I know this was heavy, and I know this is deep. It's unusual for us to, to really go this deep emotionally. I get it. Two weeks from today, um, everyone's going to receive a, a, a little gift. It's part of the, the message two weeks from today. It's not a new car. Okay. So this is deep today. This is emotional. It's where we live. It is in the bedrock of who we are. If you've never blamed God for the problems that that you've experienced a I, I, genuinely way to go. That is, that's phenomenal. I don't know if you're in the majority or minority here today, but I know that there are people here today, including me, myself, who have at times in my life blamed God for my problems and have held a grudge and put him in timeout. I've done that. And hearing the stories of other people, I, it, I'm not alone. But aren't you thankful that God loves us? Aren't you thankful that he cares? When you look at Moses, Moses did the same thing. Elijah did the same thing. Elijah's running away and he's going like, I'm the only one left that's serving you. I'm the only one and this is the way you're treating me? David had difficulty with that. David, The Bible says David had to encourage himself in the Lord. The apostle Peter You remember, here's Jesus telling his disciples, man, I'm going to the cross. They're going to kill me. And Peter said, what? Oh, no, it's not going to happen. What did Jesus say? "You're, You're kind of following the inspiration of Satan right now, not God. And then Jesus, you know, to all his disciples, he says, one of you is going to deny me. Peter said, I will never deny you. And Jesus said, actually, it's going to be three times before the rooster crows in the morning. See, Peter was looking at this and saying, God, you're not doing what, I'm, what I want you to do. You're not doing this the way I want you to do it. And therefore, fine, I don't even know him. I don't, know, I don't even know Jesus. That's what he did. Talking about putting God in time out. But look what Jesus did. He goes to the cross. He dies. He's buried. He's resurrected. And what does he do? He finds Peter doing what? Fishing. What did Peter do? He said, fine, I'm going back to my occupation. I'd say that that Peter was holding a grudge against Jesus. He's like, I know, three years investment of teaching and preaching and all this stuff. I'm I'm going fishing. Forget it. I'm going fishing. But what did Jesus do? He came to where Peter was at and there was a restoration the answer to your situation is closer than you think it's right under your pillow it's right there in your control Jesus right now is coming to you and saying I love you I know you've held a grudge I know you've been confused but I love you and I want to show you with perspective that I'm doing a work in you that's powerful and yeah there's the refiner's fire Yeah, there's a refiner's fire. He's gonna refine your marriage. He's gonna refine your attitude. He's gonna refine all of these things because He's got a purpose in planning your life. And part of that is to give you momentum to say, let's go, let's go. Will you allow Him to do that today? Allow Him to start that process of, of, of that reconnection, like Jesus and the Apostle Peter. There was a separation. Peter said, I'm going this way. But Jesus met him where he was at, and he's meeting you where you're at right now. You've been mad at God, and he's coming to you right now today, and he's saying, It's all right, come on, I still love you. I know you're mad at me, I get it, I know, but I'm not mad at you. I love you. Will you allow him to love you today? Let's pray.